0: If you have a copy of the Bible with you, please open it to 1 Corinthians 16. We're going to be in verses 10 through 24. This is our, our final sermon in 1 Corinthians. We've gone through the whole book. And, um, you know, I think one of the, one of the things I really miss, um, I, I love digital music now. You can get it easily. But back in the day, in my day, when we would get albums, you know, there were the liner notes and the liner notes you, you would pull it out and like on the sleeve it would tell you all yeah Chris knows what I'm talking about it would tell you who played on it who wrote it where they did it It was like it wasn't a throwaway It was something that actually helped you appreciate the music you were listening to so much more and we miss out on that nowadays It's tragic um, But the first Corinthians 16 when we when we look at it uh, Verses 10 through 24. It seems like a throwaway it seems like something that doesn't really apply to us. But I want to I suggest to you that Paul didn't just have some extra ink that he needed to get rid of. That this is actually part of the message. This is like the liner notes. This is going to help us appreciate that it's part of the, the, the intent of the letter. This is actually part of God's word. So hear God's word from 1 Corinthians 16, 10 through 24. When Timothy comes, see to it that he has nothing to fear while he is with you for he is carrying on the work of the Lord just as I am. No one then should treat him with contempt. Send him on his way in peace so that he may return to me. I am expecting him along with the brothers. Now about our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to go to you with the brothers. He was quite unwilling to go now, but he will go when he has the opportunity. Be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, do everything in love. You know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, and they have devoted themselves to the service of the Lord's people. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to submit to such people and to everyone who joins in the work and labors at it. I was glad when Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaeus arrived, because they have supplied what was lacking from you, for they reflet- refreshed my spirit and yours also. Such men deserve recognition. The churches in the province of Asia send you greetings. Achilla and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord. And so does the church that meets at their house. All the brothers and sisters here send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. If anyone does not love the Lord, let that person be accursed. Come, Lord. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love to all of you in Christ Jesus. Amen. Please pray with me. God, I pray that you would help us to see the message, the life-giving message, the corrective message, the convicting message in your word here. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So one day, um, back when I was a kid, I was like eight years old, um, back when I lived on Long Island, Long Island, uh, I was walking home from school and I remember there being like just a truck that I didn't know you know someone's car is out front you don't know whose it is it was like this little red pickup truck And so I go in the house and my accent was a good bit stronger. I was like ma there's a truck out front. Can I have some coffee? Or whatever. <laughs> you know my kids always make fun of me whenever I come across water or coffee because it comes back out and <laughs> And there was someone in my house someone I didn't recognize it was a I mean it was a giant to me It was a it was a man, but he was young And I was introduced to my brother David for the first time in my life. And David was really cool. He lived in the city, um, and he played in a band. And that's all I really remember about David, because that's the last time I saw him or spoke to him. He's my brother, but we're totally estranged, right? Estrangement is a weird thing. If you look on a family tree, I have a brother named David right next to me right there boom is a complete stranger to me right there's no like when you I I have another brother and sister and if you ask me who my siblings are I would tell you about them I wouldn't tell you about him I I don't even really when I when I think about oh I've got siblings I don't think about him I only met him once in my whole life we're in fact related we share a gene pool (laughs) right? but in practice We're strangers. That's that's the weird thing about estrangement is there's a closeness in fact and in practice complete distance. That's also the situation we face today in Christ's Church in this country. I might say globally is that we are in fact family in Christ. In fact, there are people who are united in spiritual union with Jesus. Children of God the Father that do not recognize one another as fellow family members. I mean, there's, there's, for, for American Christians, we're especially bad at this. Because there are Christians in countries that you've never even heard of. Right? We've never given a thought to these folks, yet we are part of the same spiritual community. Right? There's people we do know about that we disown. People from different traditions, people from different theological camps will literally throw each other out of the family. There's plenty of examples of this. For instance, uh, there's a pastor named John MacArthur who told President Trump, yeah, every true Christian is gonna vote for you. It's fine if you voted for Trump, it's fine if he votes for Trump, but according to him, if you didn't, you're not part of the family of Christ, you're not a real Christian. I've heard for many, many years, many Protestants say that our Catholic brothers and sisters are not in Christ. And to be fair, there's a lot of Roman Catholics who say that everybody who isn't Roman Catholic isn't in Christ. That's actually somewhat official doctrine. Of course, liberals aren't guilty of this at all. Because, you know, very accepting and all that very inclusive, unless you hold anything that's like semi-traditional, then, then they'll chuck you out as they, as many liberal denominations are doing right now, they are showing the door to anybody with something like conservative opinions. And we have little contact with each other. There's no cooperation. It's safe to say that even though we share a spiritual union, with many brothers and sisters, we don't recognize one one another as family. In fact, we're united. In practice, we're estranged. And the church at Corinth, I should say churches at Corinth because Corinth was a big metropolitan area. Think Chicago, think New Orleans, right? There's a lot of towns around it. And so you had a lot of little house churches, but it's it's, it's addressed as one church in this letter, but they were divided. And that's what we've seen as we've gone through this letter of 1 Corinthians. They were divided by class. They were divided by ethnicity. They were divided by the places they lived. They were divided especially by their theological tribe. Who is their favorite teacher? I am of Paul. I am of Apollos. I am of Peter. Paul has been railing and raging against this division in the church. Uh, we said that the, the, the main message, the main command of 1 Corinthians is to undivide the church. To take all of these things that estrange the body of Christ and unite through them. Now, I want you to notice when we, when we went through this, Paul includes people. We're, we're going to go back through this more in more detail, but Paul includes people of every ethnicity, people who are from different divides, people who are from different camps in this greeting, right? Also, did you notice that he used family language again and again, brothers, brothers, brothers. What What is the message here? It's that we are the family of Christ. That's that's the that's the big picture picture message of what's going on here in verses 10 through 24 He's showing us a picture of what the family of Christ is supposed to look like a family of every ethnicity a family of every nation a family of every tribe Now I use that word intentionally We're the family of Christ. We're not the meetup of Christ. You go to a meetup, everyone jogs here. Everyone's just like me. This is easy. Get along with these folks. We all make our own kombucha. <laughs> we're not the besties of Christ. Okay? Right? Oh, this is exactly the people I would choose to hang with all the time. Doing something wrong if that's the case. And we're not the country club of Christ either. We're the family of Christ. What does a family have to do? A family has to live together. A family has to live with one another. And we're going to see it's to live together in humility, unity, and love. So outline folks who do that sort of thing. We're the family of Christ, and we need to live together in humility, unity, and love. Now, where do we see that we need to live together in humility? Where's the message of humility? Look with, look with me at verses 10 and 11. He says, When Timothy comes, see to it, that he has nothing to fear while he is with you, for he is carrying on the work of the Lord, just as I am. No one then should treat him with contempt. Send him on his way in peace so that he may return to me. I am expecting him along with the brothers. Now, Timothy, we're going to talk about him in a second here. Is Paul just have some extra ink here? Or is he telling them Timothy's coming for a reason? Is it possible for a person to be a message? I um, had a professor in seminary, Dr. Phil Douglas, and everybody could do a Dr. Phil Douglas impression because he had a very distinct way of speaking. He was like this, and, and he'd say, he'd say, fellas, when you're in ministry, you're going to have to rely on the Lord for strength. Right, everybody could do a Phil Douglas impression. That just is in me now because I sat through th- so many hours. And Doctor Douglas had earned PhD from SLU. He had planted or replanted literally hundreds of churches. Had coached hundreds of church planters. More, he was very well thought of by all of his fellow professors. Right, but in his class, he kind of did this first year. Uh, spiritual formation class and the and the stuff you would cover was kind of basic right the, the basics of the faith and uh, I, I was really surprised to discover that a Lot of my fellow first-year seminary students had contempt for dr. Douglas That they would say oh everything he's saying I already know I was like well, how about that a first-year seminary student has nothing to learn from dr. Douglas <laughs> right got nothing to learn from a guy who has an earned PhD, the admiration of his peers, has planted or replanted hundreds of churches, right? And when, when the dude would talk about theology, I never saw this in anybody else. He'd, he'd tear up, he'd cry talking about the imputation of Christ's righteousness. And I'm sitting there saying, It's not what he's saying. It's him. He's the point of the class. That's who you want to be. I want a T-Report. I talk about the forgiveness of Christ. I want to be as well thought of as that dude, right? He's a godly guy. And that's the point is to sit under him. The man is the message. And to this day, when someone went to Covenant and had Dr. Douglas, it's kind of a litmus test. What would you think of Dr. Douglas? (laughs) They're like, he was the best. I'm like, right on. (laughs) Corinth. Was a prideful church. You can't divide without pride. They were status seeking. They were trying to up their tribe. Right? They were in competition with one another. What was Timothy like? The picture we get of Timothy in the New Testament, he was timid. He was sometimes had had trouble like you know, being a forceful pastor. He was young. He was like a junior member to Paul. And remember, the church at Corinth had a hard time receiving Paul. Right? They're like, we're not sure Paul's quite up to snuff to teach us. Paul! So now he says, Timothy's coming. Receive him. The very act of receiving the pastoral care and teaching of Timothy is an exercise in humility. It is medicine for the prideful soul. We're the family of Christ. We need to live with each other in humility. What can we do? Like what kind of actions right? can we do to to increase the humility of our community for us? Well, first of all, it's to listen. I'm about to tell you guys how to win an argument. You ready? Next time you come across somebody that you disagree with in person, maybe at Thanksgiving, hmm? Online whatever. I'm gonna tell you how to win right now first of all you listen and Then you ask questions not questions like so how are you this dumb right not that kind of question But tell me more about that. Tell me how you came to think that Right just get curious about the person and why they came to the conclusion they came to right and You know when you win when you can say back to them what they said and what they think better than they could say it, you have won. Boom, you just won. Win every argument that way. Listen until you can say it back and perfectly understand what they're saying. There's no other way to win an argument, folks. <laughs> also, a, a, a real exercise in humility that's needed for the church in the West especially is to receive Wisdom from others, to receive wisdom from the ancients. We think we're such hot stuff because we're moderns. Well, we are the newest, therefore we're the best. New Coke, better than old Coke. <laughs> no, instead, it's, it's, to, it's to listen to our brothers and sisters and about what they learned from their walk with God in... Central America, South America, Africa, ancient Africa, you name it, we need to receive wisdom from everywhere. Also, this might upset people, we need to hear wisdom from people outside of our theological tribes. If you're a conservative, have you ever read any of the liberal theologians out there? Those are the people coming up with some cool new ideas. Not all of them are good. (laughs) But that's where they come from. Liberals. Need to listen to your conservative brethren. Because guess what? Historic Christianity has a lot going for it in terms of honoring God's word. All right, everybody's mad. But not only... Not only because we're the family of Christ do we need to live with one another in humility, but but once, once we deal with pride, it opens the way to unity. We need to live with each other in unity. Where do we see a message about unity here? Well, we have another man who's a message. Look at verse 12 with me. Now about our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to go to you with the brothers. He was quite unwilling. To go now, but he will go when he has the opportunity now for those of us who have been here for the whole series What are these tribes? What what were they called? I am of Paul. I am of Apollos, right? Those are kind of two of the main ones What did Paul just do? He Just cut the legs out from under all that nonsense. How? He said, oh, yeah, you guys are so divided. You're like, I like Paul, I like Apollos. Well, I'm in the city of Ephesus with Apollos right now. We were kicking it the other day, going to the swap meet before we went to preach the gospel somewhere. And he said this. Paul and Apollos are the same team. They dwell in unity. How could you possibly think right, that, that, that you, can, you can make them the mascots of your tribes? They work together, same team, ministering together in the city of Ephesus. Like, you have to understand that who your favorite teacher was in Corinth was a matter of rancorous division. It was so bad that a generation after 1 Corinthians was written, Clement, uh, a a, a later Christian writer, talked about these very divisions in in the city of Corinth that still existed. So I guess they half heard Paul here. But when the church lives together in unity... Across these divisions. It's a beautiful thing. I had like a a micro vision of it once I I, I got to go um, when I was traveling around once I got to go to this church in southern Germany and um, And in southern Germany there were like a bunch of Kazakh refugees when uh, when the um, Soviet Union broke up Kazakhstan like a lot of people were persecuted by the government and they fled to Germany a lot of these folks were were believers and so they were there was Russians there, there was Cossacks there, there were Germans there, there was a bunch of students from Africa there, there was one American me and my my Croatian friends that I was traveling around with and so it was like this amazing like you know things are being translated into Russian and German and 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 like the 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 African students were just really glad that it was in English for once like I I actually got to preach but and people from different traditions too there was baptists there was charismatics there there was the, uh, the the african students were anglicans right and one presbyterian me and everybody was worshiping together and and everybody did what you thought they would right as soon as worship started all the charismatics like rushed the stage in their dance. and they're dancing it was like okay right on that works and and um, and and then the, the baptists kind of stood like stoically singing along right as they do and i wrote things down because that's the presbyterian hallelujah do you know that like so pastor says something you write it down that's a presbyterian hallelujah (laughs) you can use that but it was for at least a service it was what the body of christ dwelling in unity looks like it's beautiful there was, there was like four, four or five different continents represented there. Several different languages, different theological traditions, all praising Jesus together. We have so many excuses to be divided. Social views, theological views, class, ethnicity, you name it, there's reasons to divide and we do. But what can we do to counteract that? What, can, what, can, what practical states Uh, steps can the average follower of Jesus take to dwell in unity? You know how good it feels to bash the other side? Don't. No matter how good it feels. That's a brother or sister we're bashing. Yeah, they're wrong. So wrong. I know. So just say someone's wrong without like saying, well, they're anti-gospel or because they hate the church that they believe that, or they hate Jesus in reality. It's like, no, they, they love Jesus too. They just might be wrong about that. It's a big difference between bashing and disagreeing. Another thing we could do is pray. If you have a, a regular prayer life, take time to pray for your brothers and sisters across the globe. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of ministries that, that call attention to uh, persecuted people groups that are our brothers and sisters in many parts of the world. So take the time to pray for them. And while we're praying for our brothers and sisters across the world, maybe we could pray for the ones down the street from the church that we might disagree with. Another thing that we could do to live in unity is you know, this this situation of class and ethnic division in this country, it was created by the majority culture, right? Like this is not contested history, right? Over, over the years, the, the will of the majority culture has, has pushed people into, like, segregated churches, both by class and ethnicity for the most part. Well, it's for... Uh, to, to, to work towards unity and be the family of Christ is for the majority culture Christians to say, you know what, this might take multiple generations to undo what's been done, but it is the responsibility that we have in Christ, is to work against those things. And I don't have all the answers on that, and I know it's going to take a long time, but we're the family of Christ. We need to live together, not only in humility, but in unity. And Paul, uh, you know, he's he, he, central to Paul's message here throughout 1 Corinthians and here is, is that we need to live together in love, to live together in love. And what does love do? Well, first of all, it builds up. Look at verses 15 through 18. It says, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, and they have devoted themselves to the service of the Lord's people. I urge you brothers and sisters to submit to such people and to everyone who joins in the work and labors at it I was glad when Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaeus arrived because they have supplied what was lacking from you For they refreshed my spirit and yours also such men deserve recognition Now I want to point out that these verses come right after verse 14 Do everything in love. What's the first example? These guys who show up to minister and encourage minister to and encourage Paul Love builds up. He's showing you what it looks like. It looks like these three brothers. But not only that, love doesn't just build up. It brings together. What what we don't get if we don't, um, if we're not familiar with the background here, is just how amazing it is that these three men, Stephanus, um, Fortunatus, and Achaeus, came together to Paul. You see, all right, boring history. Ready? (laughs) Corinth was established as a Greek city. It was one of the great cities of the Greek world. It was culturally Greek and all that. Now it was eventually conquered by Rome Who were not Greek? They are Latins, right? Latin speaking different culture and When Corinth rebelled against Rome Rome came and burned it to the ground in 146 BC Okay and because Corinth was such an important city, eventually uh, the, the Romans started to rebuild it around 80 B.C. And they didn't just start rebuilding it slowly, but they resettled it with Romans. Okay? And so you had a dynamic where you had indigenous Greek people with occupier Romans coming to take over and, and rebuild and remake one of the great cities of the Greek world. Can anybody see how that might be rancorous in a society? Well, Stephanus is a Greek name. And we see that he is one of the first, he is the first convert in Achaea, the area where Corinth is located. He's, a, he's a, a Greek guy and his household is Greek. Whereas Fortunatus and Achaeus are both Latin names. These are people of Roman descent. okay? These are people who don't necessarily get along, for whom their peoples have bad blood. And what are they doing? They're traveling around <laughs> encouraging Paul. Not only that, but we see him name drop Achilla and Priscilla, uh, you know, a, a cameo from the book of Acts. He says, the churches in the province of Asia send you greetings. Achilla and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord, and so does the church that meets at their house all the brothers and sisters here send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Now I want to show you a map real quick just to, to help, uh, help us I- imagine this. You guys see Corinth over there in Achaea? Well, Paul's on the other side of the, of the Aegean there, at the city of Ephesus in the area of Asia. Different culture. Achilla and Priscilla, they are Jews from Rome. On the, it's not even on the map. It's on the other side of Corinth. right? And so you have this... Paul name-dropping people from all over the place different ethnicities people who have People who are divided and who have bad blood between each other and what is he showing us that love? Brings together in verse 20. He says greet one another with a holy kiss this church That was so divided at Corinth a holy kiss You could probably imagine is not something that you shared with people outside of your class in Corinth a very class conscious place But whether you are a slave or a noble, what are you to do? Treat each other as equals, right? Christ bridges all of those things that are pulling people apart. Love not only builds, it brings together. And lastly, love tells hard truths. Look at verses 21 through 24. It says, I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. So somebody's copying down this letter for Paul, you know, a secretary as, as, or, or, or someone like that. And Paul's like, I'm going to need the stylist for this last part. <laughs> okay. Paul writes this in his own hand. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. If anyone does not love the Lord, let that person be cursed. Now, he's talking specifically about those in the church at Corinth who would not have enough love for the Lord to receive the message of 1 Corinthians. Okay. Like you're gonna just ignore this and go on on your divisive ways, let you be accursed. And then he drops into Aramaic, his native language. Come, Lord. Um, that's a hard truth that he's sharing. And 1 Corinthians is a book full of hard truths. He has not spared them, has he? It has been a ultramagnetic MC level critical beatdown. I, I probably should have thought better about that cultural reference. Probably not too many ultramagnetic MC fans in here. But what does he end it with? He said, my love to all of you in Christ Jesus, amen. He's telling a hard truth in this letter in love. That's what love does. It builds, it brings together, and it tells hard truths. I remember um, when I was doing my pastoral internship, you know, you work and work for a church, and, and they'll let you preach, like, once in three years, and it was my day. And I was super nervous, so we were, like, checking the mic, and my friend, my friend Mark, was, like, running sound, and he's like, you need to say something. And so I was nervous, and I just started, like, making fun of him, like, you know, telling the story of his life. Mark was born the ugliest child in the Ohio Valley of the year of his birth. Yet, you know, and just kind of went on from there. Didn't think anything of it, went and did the thing, and then next day got an email from Mark. And he said, I know that you were just kidding around, but you accidentally hit on some real pain points in my life. And, and it was like I've, I've been scared to email you and everything, but I, I just have to. And You know, by the grace of God, I I received it, I apologized, I repented, but it was hard for him. I I was intimidating to this dude, and and, and he had the guts, he had the love for me to tell me a hard truth that I needed to hear. I have not become perfect at this, of like, you know, not wounding people unintentionally, but I've gotten a lot better. I at least became aware of it and repented of it. It was a huge help to me that he had the courage and the love to speak a hard truth. We're the family of Christ. We need to live together in love. And love builds up. We need to take intentional steps to build one another up. To call each other, encourage each other in the gospel. When you know that someone is going through a tough time, one of our frontline workers that, that we talked about earlier, and tell them, you know what? You might feel discouraged. Jesus is wild. No one's mad at that phone call or text. When someone's going through a hard time, there's sometimes a price to pay. And you've got to listen to someone vent. It's not pleasant, but you know what? That is intentional love. That is building one another up. Show up for one another. Denver is one of the least committal places in the universe. Kay? It is a blessing to our family in Christ when we say, I'm not going to give you a maybe, I'm going to be there. That's building up. Initiate. Has anyone ever tried to like, <laughs> like everyone in Denver is, is so like, whatevs, whatevs, whatevs. What about you initiating with someone else? That is a gift. It is a gift to risk that and build one another up. Also to bring together the more we see our church, our group of friends and relationships crossing the boundaries that our society has, the more that we know we're living in love and bringing together. And love tells hard truths. By hard truths I don't mean unmeasured spleen and criticism. Oh, I've got some hard truths about this sermon I'm gonna send them out later. Send. No. I mean, you can, I guess, but that's not what I'm talking about. (laughs) Instead, you know how you have that friend who's dating someone who's just pure poison for them, and you're afraid to tell them? That's a hard truth that love tells. You know that friend you have who's living in unrepentant sin, and you're afraid to call them on it and call them to repentance because it might really damage your relationship or get you labeled as like a busybody or a prude or something like that. That is a hard truth to tell, but love tells hard truths. We're the family of Christ. We need to live with each other in humility, unity, and love. And, and like I said, family is an intentional choice of word. You've got to expect what you, what you get from a family, not a beat up. Not a carefully curated group of besties. A great example of this is my wife's family. I married into a family of like 53 people with 55 opinions about everything. Okay, we agree on nothing as a family. We can't decide what to do, what to eat for dinner without significant drama. Okay, like anytime, there was one time where literally two of the guys in the family ended up at a holiday rolling around in the front yard in the mud like punching each other. And this is not when they were 12, they were in their 30s, right? It's that level. It's not a bunch of easy people, but you know what? Always, 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 this family works it out, says sorry, reconciles. This family loves to be together. This family shows up for one another, cares about each other, and there are people from all over the spectrum. spectrum, Liberals, conservatives, Christians, anti-Christians, you name it. It's not easy. It's not neat. It's not supposed to be. But it's family. We are the family of Christ, and we need to live together in humility, unity, and love. Please pray with me.